I am a parent of two uh, adults now. These adults were once children, and I was uh, often in charge as they were children of judging them. You know, that's your job as a, as a parent to judge your children and cir- judge the circumstance, judge what punishment fits what crime, those kind of things. And I have to admit, I was not always an impartial judge. You know, oftentimes uh, your grades at school kind of in, in impacted your how you were doing in school, how you were cleaning up your room or around the house kind of influenced my thinking, whether you were male or female. You know, I know that's wrong, but sometimes just, just okay, that's, that's what boys do, be a little. So my point is, I was not... Uh, all, I tried to be, but not always impartial. And we're going to talk about today God's impartial judgment and the fact that he is impartial as he judges us. Because like uh, I had a boy and a girl, God is going to be judging. Uh, and what the, the purpose of this passage is to talk about how he judges Jews and how he judges Gentiles and how he does it impartially. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans chapter 2. We're in verses 11 through 16. The Apostle Paul, he's in the midst of showing uh, the overall purpose. He's showing our need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does this by first, if you've been with us, he does this by first declaring this uh, sober truth. God's wrath will come upon all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness of men, of people, of, of, of us. Then he shows, that's what he's in the midst of doing right now, Romans chapter 1, 2, part of 3, he shows that every person who's ever lived, Jew or Gentile, is unrighteous. No one is righteous. There is none righteous. And therefore, every person will face the wrath of God. And his overall point is that to escape this wrath of God, we need, as individuals, the righteousness of God found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, Paul focused on the unrighteous, showing the unrighteousness of the Gentile world, how God makes himself known through creation, but we suppress that truth. We exchange God, the truth of God. We exchange God for images and for idols. And now in chapter 2, he's focusing on his Jewish brethren. In verses 1 through 5, he pointed out that they, the Jews, were guilty of hypocrisy. They were pointing their fingers at the Gentiles, at the immorality of the Gentile world, while at the same time engaging in their own sinful practices. Then in verse 6 through 11, two weeks ago we did this, Paul explained that both Jews and Gentiles will be judged according to the same standard. The Jews will not escape judgment because of some uh, of their ethnic or religious background. All people will be judged on the basis, on the same basis, and that basis is according to their works, what they do. And we'll talk more about that. If you remember two weeks ago, we explained that, and we'll touch on it again today, but not, we'll wait till we get to it. Now, why does God judge everyone on the same basis? Well, Paul makes it clear, saw this two weeks ago, 
Romans 2.11, it's because of who God is, his character. For God shows no partiality, Romans 2.11. Now remember, again, two weeks ago, we touched on that word partiality. It literally means to receive face, to receive face. In the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, There's no really word for this idea of not showing or showing partiality. So the New Testament authors took an Old Testament idea, an Old Testament uh, thinking. In the Old Testament, the phrase to receive face or not to receive face was was like an idiom for, for being impartial or partial about something. And when it was used of God, it meant that he's not moved. He doesn't judge based on the face, based on external appearances based on whether you're male or female, Jew or Gentile. He sees through the external and instead looks at the heart. No matter how powerful or smart or wealthy or connected you are, everyone is judged in the same way. God shows no partiality. Now, you might be thinking, uh, wait a minute, is that really true? Is God really impartial? Didn't God choose a specific group of people, the Jews? Didn't he give them his law? Didn't he, didn't he uh, uh, say, I'll be your God and you will be my people? And so don't they have an advantage? Don't they have access through the law to the works that God requires? The Jews were given the owner's manual, the instructions for how this, how they're supposed to do. So how can Paul say that God is impartial? Since God judges based on works, and he only gave the required works to one specific group of people. That doesn't sound fair or impartial. The Gentiles seem to be at a disadvantage. That's us, Gentiles. So in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, our passage for today, Paul answers the question of how is it that God judges both Jews and Gentiles impartially? And Paul does this by explaining in some detail the basis of God's judgment. He gets to the heart of how God judges, what he judges based on. He begins by saying judgment is based on sin, our own sin, our own unrighteousness. Uh, Verse 12, Romans 2, "For, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Notice that Paul is speaking, again, about these two different groups of people. Those who are without the law, the Gentiles, and those who are under the law, the Jews. But Paul also points out how these two different groups of people are the same. Both groups will be judged based on their sin. Whether they have the law or not, judgment will come on all who sin. All who uh, literally miss the mark, who have not lived up to God's righteous and holy standards, all who've disobeyed God, which, by the way, the point of this section is to say, that's everyone. Paul says, the first group of sinners, the Gentiles, will perish. That word perish means to be destroyed or to be lost. It's used in the New Testament to, to, to actually refer to eternal, the eternal misery of hell. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy. Same word as perish in Romans 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the Gentiles will be judged, will perish because of their sin. And the same is true of the Jews. Paul says, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And the law says, those who sin will die. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have the law or not, you will be judged based on your sin. Romans 6.23, Paul says, for the wages, what you earn from your sin is death. Both Jews and Gentiles sinned against God. And therefore, we'll both receive uh, eternal judgment, eternal death. But Paul also says, so first, their judgment is based on their sin. But he also says that their judgment will not quite be exactly the same. Because their judgment is based on knowledge. He will judge based on what we know. He will judge us based on what we know. Look at Romans 2.12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The Jews who have the law, who are under the law, will be judged by the law. And here Paul is referring to the law given to the Jewish people by God through Moses. The Mosaic law contained in the Old Testament. Uh, Your books in your Bible, really Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all contain parts of the law. It makes up the law. The Mosaic law will provide the basis for judgment of the Jews. For example, on Judgment Day, it will be fair, it will be just to say to a Jew, the law of Moses, part of the Ten Commandments, really the first commandment in Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me, but you, Jew, consistently rejected me in favor of other false gods, idols, other relationships, your job your own personal pleasures, etc. Putting anything or anyone before me is sin. And you knew this because I gave you the law. Therefore, because you disobeyed the Mosaic law, because you sinned, you will receive eternal judgment. But what about the Gentiles who never received the Mosaic law? Paul says that everyone who sins without the law will perish, will go to hell without the law. Gentiles will not be judged based on their disobedience to the Mosaic law. They will not be judged based on knowledge they had no access to. Now, again, that's not to say that they won't be judged at all. It's not to say that if a person has never been exposed to the Mosaic law, they will escape judgment. They will still perish. Why? Back to number one, because of their sin. However, they don't perish because they violated the Mosaic law. Not having the law will not be a reason for anyone to perish, for anyone to be in hell. No one will be judged based on a truth they had no access to. So what will be the basis of the judgment for those who never receive the Mosaic law? They'll be judged based on the truth they know. That's what Paul's going to explain in verses 14 and 15. We'll get to that shortly. But first, in verse 13... Paul restates what he explained already in Romans, 6, Romans 2, 6 through 11. He in, reinforces this truth that we've talked about, that judgment is based on works. He says, for it is not hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Paul wants to be clear that having, he's, he's saying, he's trying to show the, the dis, the, that it's not, it really is not an advantage to be a Jew. Paul wants to be clear, having or hearing the law does not make you righteous before God. 
The Jews do not have an advantage because they hear or read or even know the Mosaic law. For it is not hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but doers of the law who will be justified. It's not about hearing. It's about doing. It's about responding. How a person responds in their heart, in their actions, to the law they've heard. How a person responds to the truth they know. Let me... Two weeks ago, we spent really a little bit of time making sure we understood what Paul is and he isn't saying when he talks about this justification or salvation by works. We talked about how faith and how works fit together. Let me, let me just summarize. Justification by faith and by works fit together because only those who are justified by faith, which must come first, will do the works of God, the works required by God. When we are justified by faith, first, when we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, we receive something. There is something that happens in our lives. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're transformed by the power of God. And we can then become doers of the law. We can obey God's commands. And again, nowhere is Paul talking about, we talked about this last, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about a consistent life of seeking to obey the Lord. Seeking to do what you know God wants you to do. Because a consistent life of obedience to God is the external sign that you have been internally justified by faith. Let me see if I can reinforce this uh, mathematically. Does everybody know what the, the transitive property is? Raise your hand if you know the transitive property. Come on, Bob, you know what it is. I know Bob. These engineers know. Okay. Come on. Transit. Anyway, transitive property. It's pretty simple. Uh, Denise, you have to teach this, don't you? Mm. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals You know the transitive property. You guys are smarter than you think. That's it. If A equals B and B equals C then A equals C. So, applying that to Paul, to faith and works and justification. So, if A, faith, equals or results in B, justification, and B, justification, equals, is shown by works, then A, faith, equals works. Results in equals works. This is pretty much what James says in in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith always comes first, but faith equals or always results in works. So when we see someone who is outwardly doing the works of God, obeying the law, obeying what God has called them to, we are seeing someone who's been internally justified by faith. And if we see someone who is outwardly, who is not outwardly doing the works of God, obeying his commands, we are seeing someone who has not been internally justified by faith. Again, I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about a direction, not perfection, a direction in someone's life. So what do you say to those who claim to have faith, but have no works? Do not obey God, do not seek God, are not looking for, uh, to, to follow after God. I say what Paul says, it is doers of the law who will be justified. 
Or what James says, faith without works is dead. If you say you've been justified by faith, but have no works, then your faith is not real. It's not valid. Okay? Clear? If not, uh, make an appointment we'll talk about later. Because I don't want to miss the main point here. That's sort of a side point that Paul's making. He's saying to the Jews, no advantage to hearing the law. Having or hearing the law is not the basis of judgment. Doing it is. Judgment is based on doing the law, obedience to God, doing the works of God. But that raises another issue. Do you see it? Paul said that God is impartial. He judges everyone the same. Did someone say something? I'm, I'm getting an echo in my head. God, are you speaking? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that God will judge everyone, everyone's eternal destiny, destiny based on doing or not doing the faith-confirming works. Okay? Now, someone could object. That doesn't seem fair at all. Because the Gentiles never received a copy of the law. Unlike the Jews, they had no opportunity to read. They had no opportunity to follow the law. So it seems that those who have the Mosaic law, the Jews, have a big advantage over those who don't, the Gentiles. So Paul continues by saying, our fourth point, judgment is based on moral law. In our second point, we asked, uh, what knowledge will the Gentiles be judged based on? And this is it. This is the knowledge that the Gentile judgment will be based on. Again, not the Mosaic law, but the moral law. Verse 14, Romans 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So Paul answers the question. How can God be impartial in judging according to our works if the Jews have the law and the Gentiles don't? His answer is that the Gentiles, in fact, every human being, does have the law. The moral law of God is part of our knowledge, our nature. It's in our DNA. It's written in our hearts. We are therefore a law unto ourselves. God is placed in every person the ability to know the difference, let's say, between right and wrong. Then in the second half of the verse, 15, Paul adds, while their conscience also bearing witness and then conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Have you ever had a battle with your conscience? You know, you know in your heart that something you've done or something you want to do is wrong. Internally, you are both accusing yourself of wrongdoing and also trying to make excuses for why what you know to be wrong is uh, okay. The fact that this takes place within us is actually proof that the law of God is written on our hearts. And this is universal. In every person, in every society, in every culture, there's this sense of morality, of knowing right from wrong. Now, that's not to say that every person in every society, in every culture, always gets it right 
with regards to what's right and what's wrong. Yes, God's moral law is part of our nature. It's written on our hearts. But our nature, our hearts have been corrupted by sin. We don't always know the difference between right and wrong. Slavery and then segregation in the United States was wrong, but many people defended it as right. Suicide bombers are doing wrong while proclaiming uh, and apparently believing it's right. Paul's point is definitely not that we always know what is right and wrong. His point is that even when we do know what is right, we still do what is wrong. Let me say that again. The point is even though even when we do know what is right, we still do what is wrong. We violate what we ourselves believe to be right. We violate our own conscience. We know in our heart that it's wrong to gossip, and yet we talk behind people's back. We know in our hearts that it's wrong to judge people based on outward appearances or socioeconomic class or race, and yet we do it all the time. We know in our heart that it's wrong to lust or covet or lie or cheat or steal, and yet we do it all the time. And so Paul says, whether you've received the Mosaic law or not, we all have received God's moral law. It's written on our hearts. And we all violate the moral law that we've received. And therefore, it's on that basis that we'll be judged. Paul then ends this section by adding that judgment is based, just sort of reinforcing that judgment is based on the heart. On that day, when according to verse 16, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Is really a final warning of the, uh, of the coming judgment. Paul says that according to the gospel he preaches, judgment is coming. And that judgment will, will include not just our outward actions, but our inward secrets. God, by Christ Jesus, will judge based on our hearts. And this is not a contradiction of the fact that God will judge based on our external works. Because as Proverbs 27, 19 says, As in water... Face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Or as Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What we do, our works, whether good or bad, are a reflection of our heart. However, and I think this is why Paul points out that our judgment will include our inward secrets, He does this because we can hide who we really are, not from God, but from other people. We can seem to be doing good works when we're in reality just putting on a show so people think we're something we're not. So Paul assures us that judgment will include our inner secrets. Okay? So we've seen, uh, I think, the basis of God's judgment. And you might say, okay, that's good to know. But how does that apply to me? And the application is the same as it's been throughout this section of Romans. Paul's point has not changed. He wants to be very clear. He's, he's pounding this home over and over. God is in, God's impartial judgment, the wrath of God, is coming to all. God's judgment will be fair, both to Jew and Gentile. All people will be judged based on or because of their own sin. We will be judged not according to what we hear or don't hear, but but by what we do. 
If we've heard the Mosaic law, then that will be part of our judgment. And if we haven't, we'll be judged solely based on our violation of God's moral law. And our judgment will not only take into account our our outward actions, judgment will include our internal secrets, our, our heart. And the point of all of this hasn't changed. The point is, if you want to escape God's judgment for your sin, for your unrighteousness, because you're included in there, we're all included in this, for violating the Mosaic and or the moral law of God written on your hearts, then you must turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must trust in Christ. You must trust his sacrificial death on the cross to save you from the wrath of God. For as Paul declared at the beginning, so this is, this is uh, right before he goes into this section showing no one is righteous. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, the Gentile. For it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our main uh, and continuing application is to believe to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to receive the forgiveness he offers for your sins, to receive the righteousness, the righteous covering of God, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to begin to experience his transforming power in your life. And when we do this, when we trust the gospel of Christ, when we trust Christ, we will receive a different judgment. We'll be judged, we talked about this, but the, the, the judgment will be different. Instead of perishing, you will receive eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll receive eternal life. It's a gift. You'll be empowered to overcome the sin in your life. You'll be transformed into this new creature with a new heart. You'll begin a a new life of consistently responding in obedience to the moral and written law of God. Your justification by faith will be seen in your works. That's how it works. And that's the application that Paul's pointing us to in this section of Romans. And for those who've never given their life to Christ, today is the day to turn to him, to trust in him, to live for Christ. That's your application. But along with the application of this passage, I want to end by pointing out uh, two, I I think I'm calling them implications for us to consider and for us to apply. For us, those who believe, those who've trusted in Christ, there are truths in this passage that should impact our lives. And I want to point them out by showing how this passage answers two uh, important questions. First question. What about those who've never heard the gospel? What about those who've never heard the gospel? This is a common question in the church, and some would answer it this way. Some form of this. If someone, oftentimes thinking of that that tribal person, Indonesia, part of Africa, someplace, who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, then when they die, they will escape the wrath of God. They will not be judged. No hell. 
They say it would be unfair to judge to condemn someone for something they never heard of or knew about. Now, if that's, correct, if that's the correct answer, then logically, uh, we should really stop being a missionary-sending church. We shouldn't send, uh, send missionaries to places where they've never heard the gospel, because the worst possible thing that could happen for these people is to hear and reject the gospel. It would actually be better for people to die before they have the opportunity to hear and reject the gospel. That's how they would be saved from eternity in hell. But what does Paul say in Romans chapter 2, verse 12? He says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. We're following the same logic. I think it's fair to say, For all who have sinned without the gospel will also perish without the gospel. No one will find themselves in hell because they uh, didn't hear the gospel. Everyone will find themselves in hell because of their own sin. Because whether they heard the gospel or not, Paul says that everyone who sins will perish. And their sin will, will not, uh, uh, and their sin will not be that they rejected the gospel that they never heard. Their sin will be that they violated the moral law of God written on their hearts. Their sin will be that they didn't do what they knew was right to do. But instead, they do, did exactly the wrong thing. They show, verse 15, they show that the works of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. For those who never hear the gospel, who never read a Bible, God will not judge them based on their rejection of his word, based on their rejection of Jesus Christ. He will judge them based on their own conscience, based on the truth that they knew and believed. Maybe God will have a a recording of them telling someone, perhaps their, their children, how wrong it is to lie or cheat or steal. And then God will have another recording of them lying or cheating or stealing. And my point is this, and we need to get this. We need to allow this to impact us. The only hope for that tribal person who's never heard the gospel, or for any person on planet earth, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. Jesus said, John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is not saying that people are condemned when they hear the gospel and don't believe. He's saying they are already condemned, condemned already, Their own sin condemns them, and their only hope to escape this condemnation is to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as believers, as those who aren't going to be condemned, who've received these benefits, who are going to spend eternity with God in, in heaven, in his presence, therefore, our application of this truth is to take the gospel to all who've yet to believe, to personally share with those in our world who've yet to hear or fully understand or comprehend the gospel, and to send and support and to pray for and to be missionaries to the ends of the earth, that those who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ might have the opportunity to believe and to escape the wrath, the condemnation of God. So that's the hard answer to the first question. 
What about those who've never heard the gospel? They'll perish. So preach the gospel to them. And the second question that I think Romans 2, 11 through 16 helps us answer is what about those who consistently resist the gospel? Again, in Romans 2, 14 and 15, we read, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Should maybe underline that in your Bible if you're, if you're following along. Remember that. The work... The, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. There's a fundamental truth about human nature that we should always remember. Part of being human is the fact that we, every single one of us, have the law of God written on our hearts. Now, Paul's telling us this for a reason. His reason is to show that we're all guilty. We know what's right, and yet we do what's wrong. That's sin. We condemn ourselves. And if we don't trust in Christ, our sin will result in judgment, in perishing. But this also means we know that written on every... We, as believers, know that written on every person's heart is the ability to know what is right. And therefore, those who consistently resist the gospel, we know that they're battling their own conscience. That they know deep down, maybe suppressed, that the gospel is right and true. And we, as as those who are called to proclaim the gospel, need to to look at people through what I'm calling uh, Romans 2, 14 and 15 glasses knowing that every person we encounter was created in the image of God and has the law, his ways, his truth as part of their nature written on their hearts. And this means that every person has the capacity to truly know God. Every human being, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they are suppressing it or not, has a built-in natural connection to their creator. Therefore, we we should not ignore uh, the spiritual God-given nature of any person in our life. Because everyone you know, everyone you work with, everyone you go to school with, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone you meet in the checkout stand, has the law of God written on their hearts. Whether they suppress this knowledge or not, they have it. They know their creator at a profound level. And they know right and wrong at a profound level. God has gone before you in preparing them for himself. Therefore, be hopeful as you share the gospel with the people you encounter. Never minimizing or ignoring the corruption that sin has caused in the human heart, but also not looking at certain people as if there's no hope. There's no hope that that guy will ever believe. Not avoiding people because outwardly they seem impossible to reach. Because the truth of Romans 2, 14 and 15 teaches, the truth that it teaches is that every person has a God-given, built-in connection to their creator. Therefore, we can seek to reach people through that connection. We can explore their understanding of right and wrong. We can talk to them about the sin in, in our life and their lives. Even defining sin 
as knowing as when they know what is right and yet do what is wrong. We can discuss where our conscience and ideas of morality come from. We can pray that God will work in their hearts. He's already worked. We can pray that God will awaken their hearts. As we share the truth of his word, we can pray that God will awaken their hearts to the truth that he's already placed there. That God will convict them of their sin and will open their heart to their need for a savior. Because again, that's the ultimate application of this passage, this section of Romans, of the book of Romans, and of the entire Bible. To reveal humanity's need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To show every person, even the most resistant, their sin and their need for a savior. So whether we're talking about those who've never heard, or those who are very resistant, and all of those in between... Their only hope, our only hope, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, our greatest application and our greatest responsibility is to continue to proclaim the gospel to everyone in our world. Would you pray with me as Chad comes and through communion leads us in proclaiming the gospel here this morning? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for for Christ. We thank you that you've provided a way to escape your own wrath, Lord. We thank you that you've written in our hearts your law, that we have an understanding. And Lord, help us as we take communion to remember you, your death for us. Help us as we leave this place to take that knowledge, that understanding, the truth of the gospel into our world. Lord, thank you that you've given us hope In Jesus Christ, allow us to rely on that and proclaim it to our world. In Christ's name, amen.